lesson tonight is from 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings chapter 17. And it's regarding Ahaz, king of Judah, which is part three of his life, and Hoshea, Hoshea king of Israel. I think I got it spelled wrong there. Uh, um, let me see, yeah, there's a better spelling of him, H-O-S-H-E-A. Um, he is the last king of ancient Israel. Um, now, of course, the last king of Israel. We know that there is a king of kings, Lord of lords, uh, but the last of ancient Israel. And uh, we'll be reading a little bit about him. He matches up with Ahaz and actually overlaps a little bit with Hezekiah on our timeline and during the time of the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so a little review uh, from Second Chronicles 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord. He made images for the Baals. Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. The, he was being attacked by both Israel in the north. This was, Ahaz was the king of Judah. He was attacked by the king of Israel in the north. He was attacked by Syria. And so he sent presents to Assyria and uh, from the temple, cut off the pieces of furniture, sent the gold to him from his own house and the people. And the king of Assyria didn't really help him. Uh, he was also attacked by the Philistines and others and was just falling apart. And he just got worse and worse. God sent messages to him in his great love for him uh, through the prophet Isaiah. That's a little bit of a review. And then the rest of the acts of King Ahaz are written in the book of the king of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of Jerusalem, but they did not bury, bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And so sad, uh, ending to his life, 16 years he reigned. He had a father who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He had a grandfather who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he did not, and then even when things went horrible for him, uh, and God sent messages to him, he just rebelled more and more, hardened his heart more and more. And doesn't tell us how he dies, but if he started when he was 20, he reigned 16 years, only 36 years old or so, uh, when he dies. And, uh, and so, um, uh, sad ending to his reign. And they don't even bury him. The people acknowledge, the people realized how bad he was, and he took them in the wrong direction. Uh, for 16 years. And, uh, and so they bury him um, in Jerusalem, but they don't bury him in the Valley of the Kings, where the kings are buried. Um, and so kind of symbolic of their rejection of his ways. And we'll get more into uh, Ezekiah in another week. Now in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, in the 12th year of Ahaz, so 12 out of 16th of his years, uh, Hoshea, the son of Ella became king in Israel, in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. So he overlaps a little bit with Ahaz and a little bit with Hezekiah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And so that's kind of an interesting statement there. We've seen that uh, the, the northern kings, after they split from Solomon for the several hundred years that they uh, existed, uh, did not have a good king on the throne. Uh, some were much worse than others. Um, 
Judah had many good kings, but Israel in the north didn't have any. And here it says, he did evil, but not as the kings, the other kings that were before him. And so it, it, it's curious what the distinction was there uh, and why God puts that little caveat in there for us and whether that has something to do with the judgment, whether, I don't know what, what God is going to look at there on that. Uh, but still, he ends up becoming the last king. And so they were finally starting to move maybe in a little bit of the right direction, uh, but still uh, maybe not enough, right? You know, and uh, so uh, he ends his reign, but he wasn't as bad as the others. Uh, and of course, in the judgment, we don't compare ourselves with others, and it's not, well, you weren't as bad as the other people on the earth, <laughs> and, and so you get in. But, uh, but it's interesting it kind of says that. Okay, in verse 3, I don't know how to pronounce that guy, king of Assyria came up against Hoshea, and he became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And so the, the king of Assyria didn't help Judah, is, is now attacking the north, Israel, and takes them under their rulership, and Israel is now paying tribute money to them. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messages to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. And the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So he refuses to pay any more tribute money to the king of Assyria, and um, tries to get help from Egypt, which was obviously a wrong move. Uh, one thing, Egypt wasn't strong enough. Uh, more importantly, he should have gone to the Lord God for his help. And uh, if anything, or maybe, you know, again, repentance, ask Judah to help. Instead, he goes to Egypt, uh, and king of Assyria catches up on this and puts him in prison. The king of Assyria went throughout all the land, and he went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. And in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria, thus ending the ancient kingdom of Israel. For the children of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. I found that text interesting. Uh, and that it says, of course, the, the destruction was because of their sins. But it says that because of their sins uh, against the Lord God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. That goes back far from this time period. Again, you had the whole time of the kings. You have the, the, the whole time of the uh, judges prior to that. Well, you also have the King Solomon, King David, King Saul. You have the, uh, the time of judges. And you have uh, the time of Joshua. So we're talking several hundred years, many hundred years uh, from that time. But God still references back to that point of time for them. And still today, we are referenced back. Hundreds of years since then, thousands of years since then, we are referenced back to that every Passover. We are reminded of God's great deliverance in our lives. And the blood over the doorpost, sparing the firstborn parting of the Red Sea and all the things that took place. And so uh, God wants us to remember that event and he wanted them to remember that event 
because that event is so symbolic of God's work in all of our lives individually of what he wants to do for us. He wants to take us out of bondage. He wants to take us out of sin. He wants to set us free, and he sets us free by the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, over our homes, by having the sacrifice, the lamb of God, having his sacrifice in our behalf is what sets us free, parts the problems before us, parts the seas before us, and we're able to walk through on dry ground by God's grace and into the promised land. And so the symbolism of that event applies to us personally, individually, and it applies to us as a people and applies to us uh, in these last days as we get ready to enter into the everlasting kingdom of God. And so uh, he, he, he blames them not so, so much on that they didn't follow King David, that they broke away from, uh, from Sa uh, 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 Sa uh, Solomon, but because they disobeyed the Lord God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. God has done great things for us. God has already paid the price for us. God has already worked his plan for us. And we will be held accountable for rejecting God's deliverance that he has already done for us. God's exodus in our lives. It's important for us to appreciate what God has done in the past as he leads us into the future. Yet the Lord God testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servant, the prophets. I think this is a very significant text because again, talking about the, the last king of Israel and the destruction of the kingdom, and here he's reviewing for us what was it that caused their downfall. They didn't remember the Lord God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They didn't appreciate God's work that he did in their behalf, his deliverance that he did for them, Term that theological terms is justifying them, is delivering us, is setting us free. By his grace, it wasn't anything that we did on our own. We couldn't get out of Egypt in our own strength. God did it. God parted the Red Sea. God brought the ten plagues. Everything was God. And then he continues on and says, God testified to us by every prophet and every seer. So that would apply for everyone, right? If you, that's every prophet, every prophet of God, every seer, every minister, every preacher, every speaker, every teacher should teach these very things because every one of God's prophets and every one of God's seers has this message as one of the tests of a true prophet of God, a true speaker of God, whether they meet this test. And there are several tests. This is one of them. They have to fulfill all of them. But if they miss this one, then it doesn't matter if they get 98% on the others. Right? So this is an important one just as the others. Because every one of God's prophets, every one of God's seers, every one of God's speakers says, turn from your evil ways. You see, that's the message of Elijah. That's the message of John the Immerser. It's the message of Yeshua himself the message of all of God's prophets, to turn from our evil ways. A message of a call of repentance, of turning away from sin, 
of turning on to God, remembering God who has worked first in our lives, who has already done the work, who has already paid the price, who has already first loved us. And then we accept what he has done in our behalf and he gives us the power to turn from our wicked ways. So we got to have the order first. First is God loves us. That was the text before this. God worked his deliverance. God first loved us. And that should cause an awakening of a response in us that should lead us to repentance. That's step two. Sometimes people start with step two. We can't start with step two. We can't repent without first knowing that God loves us. And being drawn to that God who loves us. And that power from God that gives us the ability to turn from sin. So it starts with, first with, he delivered us. And then he calls us to turn from our wicked ways. And I think unfortunately today, that part of the message is being watered down, left out, avoided in too many circles. We try and excuse sin nowadays. Uh, I'm just amazed almost every day. You know, again, uh, this week, uh, this commentator's talking about some evil in our country, and instead of calling for change in the habits and in the lifestyles and the, and the upbringing and the, and, the, and the culture, it says, well, we need to change the laws and now make that legal. So instead of holding the fast, that's wrong, it's illegal, you shouldn't do that anymore, well, we just need to just change it. <laughs> we just don't make it illegal anymore, and then they won't be a problem anymore. And that's what many even preachers of God's word do. I say, oh, well, we don't like God. That's the next part, part three. And keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. All God's prophets. They say, oh, we don't like those commandments. We haven't been keeping those commandments. So instead of repenting and turning from our disobedience and turning to the Lord God who loves us, who delivered us, who, who gives us the power to turn from our sins, who gives us the gift of repentance, we'll just change his law. And we'll just wipe it out. And we'll just make it void. And it doesn't matter anymore. And then it's all okay. If you teach it, you're a legalist and a hater. Right, yeah. So, you know, you, you know, speed too often, well, the thing is just, well, just change the speed limit. Just get rid of the speed limit. That's the solution. No, you learn to drive the speed limit. By God's grace, by God's power, by God's strength. We don't change God's laws. We don't change God. God wasn't created in our image. Thank God, right? <laughs> we are, were originally created in his image. We decided we didn't like that, and we decided to follow into Satan's image, and we were sold out to him. And God is wanting to recreate us back into his image to the image he originally created Adam and Eve for. We don't sidestep that and say, well, God, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. You come down to my level. You change heaven. You change all your plans. You change all your rules. You change all your laws. But that's the mindset of the carnal heart. People saying there's... there's more problems in schools today. More kids getting into tension and all these problems. And the conclusion that they came up with was we need to change the rules at the school. We need to make it easier on the kids. We need to not put them in detention anymore. Well, how about getting the kids, teaching the parents to raise the kids right? 
and to not rebel against the teachers anymore and not to be delinquent and not stop, you know, and show up at school. <laughs> you know, it's just so crazy, the mindset. But we've been sowing this for so many years. Been teaching this in religious circles for so long that now society is reaping the whirlwind. And it's only going to get worse for generation after generation. And it comes back to this. It comes back to this very verse, the very problem that northern Israel had, tribes in the north had, and why they were taken captive to Assyria. Because they did not appreciate what God did in their behalf. God's pre-deliverance for us. God taking us out by his power and by his mighty hand. And then allowing him to change our lives, give us the gift of repentance, to call sin, sin, to turn from the sin by his strength, not in our own power, and allow him to give us his mind, his heart, allowing him to write his laws in our hearts and in our minds, and allow him to constrain us, to compel us to do that. They resisted. And we see the results. History now is repeating itself as we come to these last days. This very thing is happening in society again today. I guess one of the differences is, is here in this day, God's word said against Judah, Israel and Judah, by all of his prophets and every seer. And the difference today is many of the so-called seers and prophets, and maybe they don't not listen because they, they are not meeting this test, are not teaching people to repent and turn from their sin. Not teaching about God's great deliverance in our lives. And that God's great deliverance is only the beginning. That him setting us free is to set us free for a purpose. To set us free to fulfill his plan. To set us free so that we can walk in his love. So that he can set us free so that we can walk in victory in him and through him. And that by his grace and his power he can turn us from sin and turn us back into him. Because God wants to be, present us holy and blameless before the throne of God at the Messiah's coming. Scripture says that over and over and over again. And we don't come blameless and holy by changing God, changing God's plan, changing God's law. We do that by allowing God to change us. And the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. So they were taken. They've become then known as the ten lost tribes. This is it. They come. They're taken away. Dispersed through Assyria. Now some people say that, oh, Dan went here and another tribe went here and throughout Europe. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they didn't take them to, a, to, to Europe or wherever Europe would, have called, what Europe would have been called then. Uh, it says they took them to Assyria. And that's where they were until the time of the writing of this passage. As I said, God takes us out of his sight and I was warned by all the prophets. 
Accept God's power, accept God's love, accept God's grace, accept God's transformation, and you'll be blessed and walk in his light and walk in his love. Reject his word, reject what he has done for you, resist him, resist his love, resist his commandments, resist his ways, resist his word, and you'll be destroyed. That's the basic message of all the prophets. And God's word comes to pass. And God doesn't change. And that's his message for us in this day as well. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Koath, Av, Ava, whatever, and from wherever, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And I don't know if there's evidence for this. I, can, I don't necessarily can't prove it my, on my own, but this could be where we see then in Yeshua's day when he goes through Samaria and he meets the Samaritan woman. This is this changing that takes place there. Children of Israel were taken out and Assyria brought people in from all these different places and had them live in that land. So an exchanging of people groups. Verse 25, 2 Kings 17, at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. And so they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, the nations whom you placed in Samaria don't know the God of the land. Therefore he sent lions among them to kill them. Now that's interesting. Assyria sends all these Babylonians, all these other people there. And God's presence is still there. And they're not following God, and God's not happy about that. They came to the land, they're in the land, and God still expects them to learn about him. So God allows these lions to come and start attacking them. And someone realizes what's going on, and he goes to the king of Syria and says, hey, this is why. This, they don't know the, the God of Israel. They're not following the God of Israel. Thus, these lions are attacking them. And the king of Assyria said, send one of the Kohen from there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. And one of the Kohen came and taught them how to fear the Lord. This king of Assyria is smarter than the king of Israel, Hoshiah. He says, oh, okay, well, if that's the thing, then let's send one of the teachers there and let's teach them what God says, the Lord God, and let them follow that. Well, she didn't do that. Well, she said, well, let's see what the king of Damascus is doing and let's copy his uh, altar and make one for us. So they send one of the Kohen over there. So obviously there were still some Levites, some Kohen that were still in the north. A lot of them came down to Judah during the rebellion and, and, and uh, rift that took place. But some were obviously still there. And so they send someone there to teach them how to fear the Lord. Every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made. And so right now, see, you've seen some of the, the Lady of Samaria story, right? She has some knowledge of the word of God, but she's still talking about these high places and has some mixed understanding there. They feared the Lord. That's good. Yet they served their own gods. 
according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. They continued practicing the former rituals. They didn't fear the Lord, nor follow the statutes or ordinances or law or commandment and commandments which the Lord had commanded them. That's weird. In verse 33, it says they feared the Lord. In verse 34, it says they didn't fear the Lord. Well, which is it? Both. They feared the Lord because this Kohen came and the king sent this guy and so they learned from him and they said, oh, that's great, that's interesting stuff. And so they feared the Lord and they just added that to all their religions. So, okay, we got another one. Move everyone over on the shelf and let's put another one up there. And that does not classify for fearing the Lord. The Lord is a jealous God. The Lord doesn't have room he's, he, for anyone else. He is the God. He stands alone. And so while they were thinking, they were fearing the Lord. In God's sight, they did not fear the Lord, nor follow his statutes, his ordinance, or his law and commandments, which the Lord God commanded. And again, today, I think we have that same problem in society and in religious circles. And the internet hasn't helped that. We kind of just take in everything and we listen to this and we listen to that and we hear this and we read this and, and our minds are everywhere. Part of this postmodern mindset that we think we can absorb and take in everything even though it contradicts with the other things that we have taken in and we let it sit there. It's like going to the supermarket when you're hungry and trying to shop. And you go past the peanut butter aisle, you go, oh, I like the peanut butter, and you put that in your thing and you go by past the spaghetti aisle and you go, I like that, and you take that and you put that in your cart. You know, and, and yeah, you know, and you put a couple things in nothing that meshes anything and you go home and you can't even make a meal out of it. And yet that's what society is doing. We're getting all these mixed things. Oh, some Bible, definitely. But then also some traditions from whatever lands we've come from, from whatever backgrounds we've come from. And we mix them in and exalt them to the level of God's word. And that's problematic. I mean, traditions are fine. We all have traditions, right? Some people get up at... 6.30 every morning, right? And that's their tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible doesn't say you have to do that. And that's okay if that's your tradition. You know, some people like, uh, you know, whatever, doing something on a regular basis. That's fine. We have Bible study here on Tuesday nights. That's our tradition. The Bible doesn't say that. Bible study on Tuesday night. But that's when we do it. That's when we put it on the calendar. It's our tradition. That's fine. Problem is, is when we elevate traditions to the level of the Bible, to the level of scriptures, or we use them to replace the Bible. And we take something out, we, we delete something. We don't do something and replace it with our tradition. That's the problem 
We're mixing these things together, making some kind of melting pot of nothing that matches. That's what they were doing there. Mixing the word of God with all other kinds of things. Pagan things from here and there, from all the different places that they came from, all the different beliefs. And today, oh, we see it on bumper stickers, right? It's coexist bumper sticker. In other words, well, we can just put it all together. And just throw it all into one pot and all get along. You know, as people, yeah, we all need to get along in the world. People are different. People have different opinions, different beliefs. That's fine. But to think we can all put that into one mind and into one life is not. God, again, doesn't share. God's word is true. God's whole word is true. We need to follow God's word and not compromise on God's word. Not to add to, nor delete from. And yet that's what they were doing here. And that was the problem. And that again is a problem today. God has truth. I believe God still has truth. The postmodern teaching and mindset is that, well, there's lots of truths. There aren't lots of truths. God is truth. There's one God. He is truth. There's one word of God. And it is truth. And it is faithful. And it is possible by God's grace for us to understand enough truth that he wants us to understand. We'll grow throughout eternity. We'll learn more and more about him throughout eternity. But we can know enough for us right now in our walk and we can grow in that continually throughout our lives here. We can't have several different truths in our minds that contradict each other. God's word doesn't contradict itself. God's word comes into harmony together. And if we can't find how the verses come in harmony together, then there's something wrong with our thinking, not something wrong with the Word of God. So we need to continue to study it until we find the harmony of all the scriptures, of all the Bible, the whole entire thing, and how it all blends together. And not say, well, I don't understand that, I don't like that, that doesn't fit with what I like here, and so I'm throwing that out. Because all the prophets and all the seers had one message. No one comes along later on and changes what a prophet before them taught or said. It all comes in harmony together. And if we see a seemingly contradiction, the problem is with our understanding, not with the word of God. But that's not what they did here. They just accepted it in and blended it in with all things contrary to one another. It was impossible for them to truly fear the Lord God as God says, fear him and him alone, have no other gods before me, and still have these other gods. But they were trying to do that. They were saying, oh yeah, we do this. And they had this contradiction going on in their minds and lives. They didn't see a problem with it, but it was a problem to God. And it's a problem to God today as well. In the seventh year of Oshea, king of Israel, this king of Assyria came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, king of Judah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded and they would neither hear nor do them. That's a summary right there. That's the reason why. 
because they refused God's grace to transform their lives, to bring their minds and hearts, for God to bring their minds and hearts into obedience to his will and his word. And if he held that in judgment against them, can he do any differently for us? Does God have a different standard for one people and then a different standard for another people? Is that God? Is that fair? Is that right? God doesn't change. He created one people out of Adam and Eve. We are the human race. And there is one God for all the world. He, he doesn't have different ways for different people. He doesn't have different laws for different people. He doesn't have many paths to heaven. He doesn't have different ways for different people to get there. God is consistent. God is just. God is right. I mean, how would it be if God let us in to heaven without obeying the voice of the Lord God and while transgressing his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded? What if he let us into heaven doing those things and transgressing, not, do, not commit, keeping his commandments and transgressing. He's not a just God. These guys would raise up in judgment against us or against God. How dare you let that in? And you didn't let me in? God didn't wake up one day and go, you know, those laws I gave, they're just too hard. That was dumb of me. What was I thinking when I did that? Boy, I wish I never told Moses those things. I messed up a bunch of generations. But, you know, hey, you know what? We'll just move on from here. No. God is just. God is, God is powerful enough to give us the ability, by his strength, by his power, by his grace, to give us the ability to turn from our wicked way, to repent from the carnal nature, to have the carnal nature taken and placed in the Messiah killed and destroyed and removed from us with its inclinations, its evil inclinations and its evil desires and its evil habits and its evil doings. And he's able to transform us and change us so that we walk with him in obedience to him. Again, into, re-into his image. He wants to recreate us. All things become new. The old has passed away. The old man has died. Now, the Messiah is living in us. And that is the same gospel that was taught to Adam and Eve. It's the same gospel that was taught to Jacob and Abraham and to Moses and to David and which they taught to the people. The scriptures are consistent all throughout. One way of salvation. Through God's love for us, his deliverance, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, in leading us out of one area, changing our lives, giving us the gift of repentance, and giving us the power to obey. And it's the same today. The everlasting gospel, the scriptures call it. It's everlasting. It's not only 2,000 years old. It's everlasting. It's an everlasting gospel for all people. And the judgment will be based on the same thing. 
The judgment for Adam and Eve will be the same judgment for you and me. The same standard for them will be the same standard for us. The same standard for people in Noah's day will be the same standard for us. The same standard in Moses' day will be the same standard for us. The same standard for Israel, ancient Israel, will be the same standard for us. So as we pray together, let us accept God's gospel. Let us accept and appreciate what God has already done for us in his great deliverance for us. For still in Egypt, let us pray that he gets us out of Egypt, that he parts the sea for us, that he delivers us. He has already paid the price for us. He has already done it for us. We can ask for the faith to accept the work that he's already done for us. If there's sin in our hearts and our minds, can ask him to give us the gift of repentance. We've been resisting him, resisting his word. We can accept his forgiveness. We can accept his spirit to empower us and to give us victory in that area of our lives and in every area of our lives as we pray together. Or if you've been doing as they did there, accepting lots of different things and lots of different theories into your mind that are contradictory. Get into God's Word. Ask God to give you wisdom and understanding of His Word. And you can see the harmony of His Word. The harmony of His complete Word. And ask Him to live it out in your life. So we can be complete. So we can be cold. So we can eat Him that we can take him in, that we can receive him, and that he can change us and bring us into harmony with him. And if we've had some wrong thinking regarding God's word, God's commandments, we've been hearing from seers and prophets and preachers and people who are saying that God's changed, God's done this, done away. They're not giving a message of repentance, not giving a message of God's love, and wrong or not giving a message of God's love and God's deliverance and a message of repentance and a message of obedience, full obedience to all of God's word. And we can ask God to give us the strength and his power to hear from him and to walk in obedience to him. Do any of those areas apply to you or anything else that God spoke to you today as we learn lessons from ancient Israel that still apply to us today? Let's ask for God's spirit to work in our hearts and minds. We pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for your great love for us. We're thankful for your great love for Ahaz and sending him messages and warnings to Hoshea, giving him time and warnings as well. For the people that were brought into Israel after the Assyrians moved ancient Israel and that you gave them an opportunity to learn your word and sent the Kohen to teach them. We're thankful, Lord, that you've warned us by all of your prophets and by every seer of your great deliverance and setting us free by the blood of the Lamb. We're thankful, Lord, for your message of repentance 
We're thankful, Lord, that you love us so much that you want us to change us. You love us so much that you want us to be like you. You love us so much that you want to set us free from our sinful, carnal heart and mind. And thank you, Lord, for the message of your truth and of your plans and of your ways, of your statutes, of your laws, and of your words. Lord, bring our minds and our hearts and our lives into harmony with you. Make us at one with you. Join us to you. Take our carnal heart and mind and place it in your son and wash us clean from it. Give us new thinking, new hearts, new lives. Work in us new every morning, more and more each and every day. And work your power and your grace in us. And recreate in us a new heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit in us. And give us your Holy Spirit empower us to walk in obedience to your laws and your ways. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.